Well, hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Zeitcast. And, okay, so I'm going to totally be a fanboy right now. One of the things I love most, this is like the reason I'm doing the podcast, really, is it gives me an excuse to hang out with my heroes and then proselytize and be an evangelist from here is the way I am anyway. So like, you know, what other way do you get to hang out with someone as cool as Otis Moss the third? Like this is you guys, and I'm not just saying this, that this is, is my fine. favorite that preacher. Y'all, this is my favorite <laughs> preacher. I'm telling you, he is just the one of the baddest preachers in the world. Um I, I did have to he's the pastor of Trinity United Church of Christ in Chicago, which is uh, an unbelievable community. Um, I always tell people this is one of my favorite churches in America. It's extraordinary. I can't think of any other place that's like it. The The scale and scope of what you guys do here in the community. Uh, by the way, I watch you. Um, I'm not just trying to like make you blush here, but like even on a day like today, I'm like, how do you know everybody's name? I would think it with the church of this size. You I do, like I do not know everybody's name. You know close. a lot of names. Uh, not not even close. Okay. Well, not I heard you call a lot of people by name. You know, if you, you know, we've been here for a little while. Sure. So, yeah, sure. we've been here 12 years. But uh, no, 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 I'm not even close to knowing everybody's name. I wish I could know everybody's name. My predecessor really knew people's names. Yeah. Oh, my God. Dr. Wright was that way? Oh, yeah. my God. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I mean, really, he made it his business to really learn people's names. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, just, but the level of, like, in general, the kind of pastoral care that's here is so intense and the culture, like it's just, it's just so special. I wanted to read, like I, I almost never read anything like a, um, a formal bio of any sort, but I love so much what you have as your bio on Twitter. I have to read that just cause it's genius. A jazz influenced pastor with a hip hop vibe saved by Jesus, inspired by Zora Neale Hurston, blessed by Howard Thurman and amazed by August Wilson. That is a great bio. Now, I appreciate that, man. That's Look, so great. It's, it's succinct and it just, it completely communicates my life. So. Yes. <laughs> yes. There's a lot wrapped up there. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> That's a vibe to be sure. You get a kick out of it. I said, no, it's true. It's true. Um, there's so much I want to ask you about. I, I do want to let listeners know one of the things I think is so gracious about you being able to do this now is that um, pastor has already preached the house down twice today. I've been here for two of those. And it was so cool because I just said text. It's like, hey, because you I, I, and I was actually strategic about this. Like I knew I wanted you to be on within the first few weeks of the show mm -hmm. if you were open to doing it. But we talked about doing it remotely. This is the last weekend I'll have maybe for the rest of this year when I'm not preaching. Because you were starting at 11 o'clock service. That's right. That's we start right. Sunday mornings next That's weekend. Exciting. Thank yeah, you for that. Yeah. But I was like, so just kind of on the whim, like, hey, so what if I just kind of came and hung out in Chicago? So Thank you for being willing to take the time to be here. I appreciate you sending out the text. I was excited when I got it uh -huh. so that we'd have the opportunity to fellowship today. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, it's really, really special to be here because, you know, you— um, Well, the people love you, man. They were, mm -hmm. I mean, people were really engaged with you. They were just so excited that you were here. Mm -hmm. You know, you have quite a few people who know you on social media. Mm -hmm. And after this—I'm going to announce this podcast. You're going to have some more— people downloading who will be from Trinity oh, that's and awesome. in the surrounding community. So you do a tremendous job, John. You really do. Well, thank you, friend. That that has a lot of weight coming from you because you really, I really, you know, not flattering. You're one of my heroes. And I think like even that's your fine. bio gestures at that, some of these unique intersections mm -hmm. that you live at, I think how theologically informed you are, but then culturally savvy. I thought that this morning, like whenever him, like there's just, there's just a lot of things going on here. And it's a, I was telling my friend David, who's with us today too. It's like, you're the person who both 
you know, makes me want to preach better and not want to preach at the same time too. You know, like I want to, like I'm inspired and I want to quit, you know, at the same time. So <laughs> not even close, man. We are all, you know, practitioners just trying to get this thing right. And I was, um, I put something on, on Facebook it was a while back to say that, you know, keep your, your humor because yeah. you know, God doesn't need, need us yes. at all. And we are so broken yeah. That God would even use us, yeah. it makes no sense whatsoever mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, that that God would even want to engage of someone of our you know of our caliber and our resume on, mm. on so many levels, and so it's quite it's quite hilarious. Gardner Taylor put it this way: He said mm-hmm. it make it makes more sense for God to use leaves to preach. Because leaves never turn their back on Jesus. Mm, wow. Ooh, that's a good quote. <laughs> My goodness. Some, he did that at the, um, it was the, the Beecher Lectures at Yale, I think in like 79. Wow. It was, I, I got I to copy the tapes and I was like, oh my gosh. I said, that, that is so true. Mm, <laughs> mm. That's extraordinary. And you know, I thought even the sermon you preached this morning, which I love so much, uh, Bent over Bertha. Bent over and she Bertha. Will, yes. She will now be known yeah. forever to me. <laughs> Bent over Bertha. And the guy, was that Luke 13? It's Luke 13. Um, yes. the, Verses um, 10 through 17. But even as you talked about being. Um, bent but still worshiping one mm-hmm. of the things i feel because I, I feel like you have such an authentic energy about you because you know there's that thing some preachers do where it's like i call it preacher vulnerability which is not real mm-hmm. vulnerability it's like you know pastor bob says i mean i even i found myself why i raised my voice to the kids in the car just in the way over here you know and it's like but it's not really vulnerable but it's mm-hmm. not but i've always felt like with you like you always feel like there's a real human being in there and like you preach so powerfully but there is such a vulnerability that's there mm-hmm. too and that like that that con- the humanity is always present and integrated in a way that i think is just is just beautiful you know preaching is is you know phyllis brooks calls it truth through personality but you know i mean you have to be who you are yeah um and part of your ability to communicate is your authenticity just mm. just being you telling some of your story mm-hmm. um, not all the time but uh, you know definitely telling your story your experiences and being you know completely honest about the the beauty of God's grace and the foolishness of our intellect. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, those those two things just go together in such uh, wonderful ways that it creates. I find preaching funny. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I find the fact that you know God uses us, but what we discover in the process is just hilarious. Mm-hmm. I mean, just you know, just like today. I mean, the the text was making me laugh when I was working on it. Mm-hmm. What did what made you laugh? Oh my gosh! I mean, when you know, so here you have you know verses ten through seventeen. You got this woman who is in in worship all this time, and the head priest is upset with Jesus. Yes, because he heals on the Sabbath, mm-hmm. and then he throws all this shade mm. to say, "Oh, really? You know, you're going to take a donkey to water, mm. but the woman can't be healed." And the sister had been there 18 years and said, "I'm still not leaving the church, even though I'm not getting what I need." Yeah, I mean, yeah. I mean that that to me is just. It, it's poignant and it's funny at the same time yeah. because I'm always translating texts. Yes, you know to you know wh- what will it mean for the South Side of Chicago? Mm-hmm. Uh, how how does it connect you mm-hmm. know with people? So here's a woman. She doesn't have a name. So yeah, she's been over. She's been over Bertha. You yeah. know, I mean the, uh, these challenges she's facing, and it's it's a funny text in many ways because Jesus. I mean, he's got 
he throws major shade often, especially against religious people. He yes. really yes. has issue with religious people. Yes. I mean, he loves people who have great submission and love God mm-hmm. um, and people who are vulnerable. But anybody who has a title and is making the claim that I represent right. God, right. Jesus is coming at you. Yes, yes, yes. He, re- he really is. There, there's so many things that are hysterical about that story. But, I, you know, what you said about translating text, mm-hmm. I mean, that is always what you're doing. And that's that's mm-hmm. one thing I feel like, first of all, you really preach the text. Like not, in the, you know, and there's all kinds of great ways to preach. But mm-hmm. you, whatever text you take, you always really preach the text. And I feel like it's rare that somebody will both be equally attentive to the original context, but fully attentive to where you live in Chicago, too. And that's all mm-hmm. like, that's all there. And it's fully, it's fully present. I I don't know if she said anything to you, but I was so touched by this. I mean, it was the 11 o'clock service this morning, I thought in particular. Both services were great. And I know how it is, too. Like, I, the second time preaching, and it's, man, there was, it did feel like stuff was really breaking loose in the mm-hmm. room in a special way. And during that, uh, towards the end, uh, kind of around, maybe just after the altar call time, there was a woman sitting uh, behind me who leaned up, and she was telling me that, um, she's been married for 19 years, mm. and after the first year of uh, marriage, her husband became disabled, has been disabled for 18 years. Wow. wow. She wasn't going to come to church today, mm. but at the last minute felt this quickening, like, I just have to come. And then she's just in tears saying, like, I mean, my husband, this has literally been our journey for 18 mm. years. Oh and for her God. to feel seen and known like that, yeah. I mean, like, I mean, that's, wow, I mean, that's that, what, what else but God? Yeah, I didn't, oh, wow. Oh, that that is really powerful, and, and that's the the strangeness and the mischief about the Holy Spirit is that there are moments mm. that you know what whatever we do, God doesn't need us, and the woman who was there, God had already created this sacred synchronicity. Yes, you know, yes. So, that, so she could be there. I didn't know that, mm. um, but because again, I'm you know, God doesn't mm. need me, mm-hmm. you know, to preach anything. And and so we end up, um, you know, by happenstance, connecting, and, yeah. and that's that's the beautiful thing, beautiful thing about it. It's really like music mm-hmm. in many ways um, when musicians play and they connect with people, and mm-hmm. other musicians connect together, and they create something in the process. And that was a, a moment of when the call and response, the congregation connecting with each other in this jazz moment. Mm. And she shared it with you. Mm-hmm. And so that blesses your spirit. It bends up ricocheting up here. I find out about it. Yeah. Um, and, and that is the beautiful thing. I, I love so much about the tradition that, that Trinity is in within yes. that kind of highly African influenced tradition mm-hmm. of, of call and response. And each service the people are actually rewriting and editing the message and the music and the worship mm. and the liturgy mm. in the process mm. you know but we have we're very liturgical but yes. at the same time we're very jazz yes you know we we, we keep we keep a balance between the two mm-hmm. it's like it's in some ways it feels like what I've been looking for all my life in that way because there is a rootedness to it there's mm-hmm. a rhythm of liturgy to be sure mm-hmm. but there's a lot of room between mm-hmm. those notes, mm-hmm. you know? Yes. And um, and it's it's so special in that way to kind of have the rhythm of the liturgy, but then that room for improvisation. I mm-hmm. love the way you talk about the relationship between like jazz and preaching. Mm-hmm. And 
and even the tradition of, of, of Trinity. Can you say a little bit more? Because I want to ask specifically about that. Mm-hmm. How would you describe the, the tradition of Trinity? You know, Trinity, denominationally, we're United Church of Christ. Um, congregational pilgrims, uh, I always joke about that, and say that we are UCC by history, we're black by God's activity. Mm. Um, so we have this Africanity uh, and this European denominational uh, uh, lineage, mm. which to me is the essence of jazz. Yeah. You know, you bring yeah. you bring these two traditions and something completely different is yes. created. So, yes. yeah, it says UCC out there, but you come in here, today was Pentecostal. Oh, sure, very, <laughs> very. Why um, yeah, yeah, it says UCC. Mm-hmm. Oh, today we're Baptist. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's so it we, we don't fit into the denominational mode in terms yeah. of activity and action yeah. um, because there is a... Uh, a sub-narrative, a, a theological narrative that, that undergirds the history of Trinity mm-hmm. and black churches in general mm-hmm. because it is the bringing together of a variety of traditions. One person uh, said it this way. Uh, I believe it was Albert Ravito, uh, scholar out of Princeton, who talks about the, uh, the slave ship. And mm. the best way to really explain it is kind of uh, uh, is amazing grace. Yeah. So, you know, here's this great American hymn we all love and everybody knows it. Uh-huh. Amazing Grace. But if you go to the Library of Congress, it says um, it tells you who the words are written by. Mm. He said we all know the, the, the famous story of, of, of the writer being a, a peddler in black flesh. Mm-hmm. But what's interesting about the Library of Congress, the original document, it says melody unknown mm. because the melody is an African pentatonic melody. Wow. So it was the sound in the hull of the ship. Ooh. Newton uh, was writing out of the European liturgy, mm. but he married it to an African melody. Mm. So Amazing Grace is the song that is the most American of hymns. Wow. Because it brings together the two elements. Mm. And, you know, I always joke and say that... Um, you know, uh, Amazing Grace can be played similar to a spiritual. Mm. It can be played in the minor keys, the black keys. Yeah, you can yeah. just you know just take those black keys and play it mm-hmm. uh, if you want to. Just kind of you know you know pinging the melody. Uh, melody, and I joke and say you know that um, you know you take away the black keys, it's like you'll have grace, but it won't be amazing. Mm. Um, so you got to when you meld that black and that white together, yeah. um, you get something that was not created before. Mm. And, and that's what the African-American tradition brings this theological narrative that was not present. Mm-hmm. The idea um, uh, that God is not only present, um, but that, uh, that God is in, around, and focused on liberation. Yes. The other piece is in reference that theological narrative talks about the community and this call and, and response activity mm. that the space, as you said, between the notes and in service, that there is this spiritual activity. Mm. The possession of the spirit is mm. this deep belief that the spirit can possess, which Pentecostalism, which comes out of the Africanity. Yes. Um, because of Seymour, he comes mm-hmm. out of that, mm-hmm. uh, that particular tradition. Uh, the theological narrative also is mm. that God is not male, in 
the African-American tradition, even though people will use the male term. Mm -hmm. But then we'll start singing a song, father to the fatherless, mother to the motherless. We have these, mm -hmm. these, this terminology out of the spiritual, uh, spirituals that says you can't box God into an anthropomorphic framework. Mm -hmm. yeah. It's only can be used to communicate that which you don't, you can't completely communicate. Mm -hmm. um, so, so there's all these wonderful things mm -hmm. that are within the theology. Mm -hmm that has not really been studied heavily in seminary, but now you have more scholars that are looking and said, oh, there's a completely different theology yeah. uh, that, that is coming into this, this tradition. And so that's, Trinity leans heavy into that. Yes. You know, my predecessor, Dr. Wright, um, was, you know, just a tremendous scholar, ethnomusicologist, mm -hmm. studied music, you know, spoke Spanish and Arabic and German and several African languages. And mm -hmm. it was always looking at, oh, look at these connections mm -hmm. that um, the way we sing in Mississippi is exactly the same way we sing in Mali. Mm -hmm. I mean, he's studying that. And Trinity leans into all of those aspects to understand the, uh, the unique diversity, global nature and liberation perspective mm -hmm. uh, that the gospel uh, demands mm -hmm. and the Afri the prophetic wing of the African American church has always leaned toward. Yes. Well, you know, I thought today, and I'm always moved by this when I um, when I'm here, like just walking on the property. One of the first mm -hmm. things I see, you know, is the banner that says, um, "Make sure I get that right." Um, unashamedly black, mm -hmm. unapologetically Christian. Yes. Mm -hmm. And I thought about this. I was so glad. Mm -hmm that you had that little riff in your sermon today. And in a weird way, like, I found it strangely, um, it relieved me somehow that mm -hmm. even you still have to have these conversations that you yes. describe having a conversation with somebody here yes. who said, I, I don't feel comfortable coming to Trinity because I need to hear a word from God and I don't want all this black history. That's right. And a lot, I was thinking a lot of things when I heard that because, you know, especially now being in, living in Oklahoma, which, mm -hmm. as you might imagine, has particular challenges. <laughs> and so I am around this narrative plenty, mm -hmm. you know, that to um, to talk about the black church, to talk about this particular theological, or almost any particular, it's like, oh, no, no, no. Well, we just need to unite around Jesus. Just, just, just Jesus. Which is, you know, part of the things I find so wild about that is that um, here at Trinity mm -hmm. and also at uh, Proctor, where we met for the first time, right. going to, to mm -hmm. the Children's Defense Fund, the wonderful you know, uh, Proctor Institute on Haley Farm there, I've never experienced a deeper welcome in all my life anywhere than I have mm -hmm. in black church spaces. I've never mm -hmm. been welcomed that way. I've never mm -hmm. felt that kind of hospitality, graciousness, generosity. Mm. So I find it so interesting, first of all, that it's in these spaces where there's such an emphasis on identity and history in that way of a particular people in a particular tradition, right. that then there's that kind of space for people like me who come from the outside. So right. I think that, that so that's interesting to me, but maybe more broadly in terms of actually coming to a question, so I want to ask you about like, how, how in your mind, in terms of Trinity and uh, maybe even your own story, like the unashamedly black and unapologetically Christian, like why is it so important that those things are held together? And what does the story even of being black in America, how does that connect to the Christian mm. story? How is, mm. that, how is that integrated here? And why is it so important oh, that's a, that's that that connection question, is so man. vital? I'm so excited to be able to share that. The being black has been weaponized in America. 
Uh, being black uh, has been denied in America. Uh, being black has uh, been marginalized in America. Being black is something that is, is seen as, as a negative that one has to cast away. Mm. So when you mention somebody, say, oh, let's just, you know, let's just talk about Jesus. So there's, I like to call it is colonial amnesia, you know, mm. that, you know, I want to forget, but I want to operate in my yes. colonial space yes. of what, how you need to operate. Yeah. And, you know, when we reclaim that as, mm. as people of African descent, we claim we we reclaim being particular, and then we become um, more universal in the process. Yes, yes. So when you claim who you are, mm-hmm. you're able to have a greater welcome mm-hmm. because you have a greater appreciation. Mm-hmm. You understand um, the roots from which you come from. Yeah. And the beauty of it is that as a marginalized people, you don't want to marginalize other people, mm. you know? So, so, so that's part of the, the beauty of reclaiming that where everybody else, we've watched everybody else mm. claim their spaces. Mm-hmm. So I was invited to preach at old St. Pat's cathedral in, in Chicago, mm. an Irish Catholic church. Mm. And they, they will tell you we are Irish and we are, we are Catholic mm-hmm. and we will never <laughs> cast aside being Irish. Yeah. So, this is this is interesting. Spoke at a Greek Orthodox church. They celebrate their Greekness mm. and the, in their particularity, they become mm-hmm. universal. Um, and and people of African descent have been denied that. It becomes a challenge to the colonial narrative. It becomes mm. a challenge to white privilege. Anytime you say that, I want to not only celebrate it. Uh, but I want to make sure that it's integrated mm-hmm. uh, into uh, in, in who I am. And so Trinity has um, carved its space mm. as understanding the particular and the universal. And mm. it connects to uh, the biblical narrative because one of the best books to really understand uh, diversity and uh, the African world is the Bible. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, I mean, I, I mean, I joke all the time with, you know, with, with people because I find that humor, you know, helps people kind of understand because I, I did a, did a talk one time, um, was in a mixed crowd. I said, if you really want to understand diversity, let's really talk about the Bible. So let's talk about Genesis. Mm-hmm. Where was the garden of Eden? Mm-hmm. They said, oh, well, it's Mesopotamia. I said, well, now wait a minute. What, what about the other river? You know, the Gihon, the Pishon, where is that? Well, one of those is the Blue Nile. Thank you. Mm-hmm. That's Ethiopia. Yeah. So from Ethiopia, to what you call Mesopotamia, this is this is Eden. Mm-hmm. So where does science say that Eden is? Well, science says that we can find the oldest human in Africa. Mm-hmm. So we begin in Africa. Can, mm-hmm. If we had that claim mm-hmm. in 1619, yeah. you can't have a slave trade supported by the Catholic Church theologically. Mm-hmm. Because it was said, well, we, 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 we can't enslave. Yeah. This community. Then you continue on and say, well, these are people of color. Um, we're continuing on through the Old Testament. We're continuing on and seeing that the, the Hebraic community mm-hmm. is coming out of Africa. Mm. Then we witness in the New Testament, we see that Mary, Joseph, and Jesus, they don't go to hide in Rome. Yeah. They say, well, we're going to go down to Africa. That's like the south side of Chicago. Yeah. You know, so we're going to go hide among people of color. Mm. Um, we are people of color. Mm. We, 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 are, we are people of this diverse and unique background. And when that happens, all of a sudden, it becomes universal. Mm. 
Now, what I love about the gospel uh, that that I've shared many times is, you know, it's African-centered. I'm African-centered, without a doubt. But one of the beautiful things about the gospel that allows it to be translated is because it does not spend time on what Jesus looked like. It spends wow. time on what Jesus sounded like. Wow. Wow. It's so good. Yeah. So what did Jesus say, mm. even though he is a person of color, mm -hmm. even though he, is, he was a dark-skinned Palestinian Jew mm -hmm. who was an immigrant, who did not have rights, mm -hmm. uh, all of the things that, that, that we are dealing with today, yes. Jesus would fit in every category. Yes. Yes. We, we would build a wall and say, uh, Mary, Joseph, Jesus, you can't come in. Or better yet, we would separate Jesus from Mary. Ooh, wow. Ooh. Yeah. And mm. he could not be in the arms of his mother. Mm. You know, so the reading, when you're reading from, from, from below, from, mm. from that, that perspective of, of a person or a community that has been marginalized, the text reads radically different. And the African-American experience, we have always laid claim mm -hmm. to the Old Testament prophetic narrative, mm -hmm. whether it's you know, Jeremiah, Isaiah, or Amos, and also the Exodus narrative. Mm. I, like I'm reading, I'm having this wonderful, wonderful read, and I would encourage anybody who's listening, read Frederick Douglass. Prophet of Freedom by David Blight. Mm. I mean, it is, it's a thick book. It'll take you forever. You're going to have to read it several times, but I'm pretty sure it will probably get the Pulitzer or the American Book Award on history. Oh, wow. It is the definitive biography on Frederick Douglass. I definitely have to read that. I am a Douglassite. Mm. I mean, I loved Douglass before. Mm -hmm. I mean, I was a fan of Douglass. I appreciate it, but I've become a Douglassite mm. as a result of reading this biography because of the detail. And one of the things that he gives us is that he shares how uh, slick, as my mother would say, um, uh, but uh, the enslaver would be in reference to biblical narrative and theology. Mm. Because Douglas says the, uh, the, the, the biggest mistake that the old family made was they taught him to read. Wow. And he got a hold of a Bible. And he started reading Exodus. Mm. He started reading Isaiah. Mm. He started reading Jeremiah. He started reading the Gospels. And mm. all of a sudden, it destroyed every antebellum narrative he mm. had ever heard in his life. Wow. And he said, these people are not Christians. Mm. Slave owners are capitalists with Christian garments. Mm -hmm. He was real clear. He said, I, I, I can't even call you a Christian because you're just utilizing this. Yeah. And so he, he learns how to read and he gets the hold of this Bible. And as a result of getting a hold of this Bible, he is liberated in, in certain ways because now he sees um, the lies that had been shared mm -hmm. and he has a completely different narrative mm -hmm. in, uh, in the process. And then he starts a quasi school for other enslaved Africans, mm. hiding books in the attic, teaching them how to read and plans escapes. And, mm. and so the African-American uh, narrative lays claim. We, we see ourselves in the word. And then at the same time, we connect to the tradition uh, through the Ethiopian Orthodox Church, mm. which is the oldest tradition. But when, I mean, I'm talking, I'm really talking about that kind of Southern black kind of yeah. rural tradition where, no, no, I'm not 
talking about Exodus, mm. I know Exodus. Yes, yes. There's an embodiment mm. that the spirit uh, transfers mm-hmm. when you speak to elders. They say, oh, no, you're preaching about Isaiah. Mm. No, you need to embody Isaiah. Yeah. Isaiah is preaching against structures, yes. against this world. He's speaking to us and those in power. Mm-hmm. And so that embodiment narrative mm. is central. Mm. You embody when you sing. Yes. You can't just sing a song and do some runs. Yeah. You, that song has to, it, it has to, it has to be in you. Mm. And it, it's not necessarily just if you're in church. We're talking sure. about if you were to go to a concert. Uh, and witness someone like Stevie Wonder or Common. I just saw Common in concert last night. Oh, that's fantastic. Oh, man, he was, he killed it. Oh, man. I bet. Oh, man. He Phenomenal. It. And so he has this new piece called um, Let Love. He's a member here, too, by the oh, way. Oh, great. Yeah. Really? It was family. That. family. Awesome. He grew up here and all that kind of stuff. That's cool. But you could see that he was embodying a particular message mm. the idea that God is love. Mm. And the whole concert, now, this is a hip hop concert. Yeah is set off by a series of prayers. Mm. He's praying throughout the concert, Mm. having a conversation with God about how can he be the man that he's supposed to be. Wow. And at several points, because I text him, you know, I was like, dude, man, you you blessed this in Ravinia Festival. This Mm. was not a performance. This was ministry, Mm. what you did. This was something completely different. You've performed. But this you embodied. Wow. You allowed, you know, when you did your freestyle, you allowed these words to come out and flow in such a way. It was really beautiful to watch, Mm. to see. And what he was doing is the same thing that happens many times when people preach. The same thing that happens when you you witness a Stevie Wonder um, present on stage and he is going in with superstition. Mm. (laughs) I mean, I mean, he he goes into a different Mm -hmm. zone. Mm-hmm. Um, or when a Marvin Gaye takes, uh, does the Star Spangled Banner at the NBA championship, mm. he does it in a completely different way and he begins to to embody. Or yes. a, a Luther or, or Beyonce when she does the performance uh, that she did at Coachella. Yeah. Oh, you know, sure. I mean, it's there's an embodiment. Yes, it's right. performance, but there's an embodiment. Some mm. Something is trans, there's a transaction that happens. Mm-hmm. Um, and... It's not exclusive to church, yes. though it is birthed out of these spaces, yeah. but it keeps on moving into other spaces. Mm. That, that's the uniqueness that, mm. uh, that happens in, in the African-American narrative. And that's what, what people talk about, what happens. And, and then today you saw that embodiment yes. with the Swedish choir that sang with our yeah. choir. Yeah. That's why they came here. Mm. They came here for 10 days mm. to study in Chicago and most of them don't go to a church anywhere. Interesting. You know, very wow. secular. Okay. But they want to understand the embodiment, and that is the p- spirit possession that yes. happens in the midst of music and performance. Mm. They they were studying, and as a result, we're deeply touched. Yeah. You know, we're deeply, yeah. deeply, deeply touched from, you know, all of the reports that I got when they were in rehearsal and, you know, things were happening. Mm. They're like, this is... This is something that we don't get in Sweden, mm. you know, because we're a community choir. Oh, yeah. We're not a church choir. Sure. You know, we don't have the language. We didn't know what, we didn't know, we didn't know why we were crying. Mm. Wow. We didn't oh, know why powerful. we were crying. Something something caused us to cry mm. when we sang Healing by Richard Smallwood. Yeah. But we couldn't put 
a finger on it until someone starts teaching us. Mm. This is why you're crying, because something has invaded, has oh. embodied, uh, and is possessing in that moment that's causing tears to flow. Mm. I love that you just even creating space to allow them to come and be part of this. Because I think especially when like when it's not a head religion and the idea isn't, you know, think these things really hard and then, you know, sign a form or something to participate in it, to be around that kind of embodiment, you get something on you, like mm-hmm. something happens yes, to you. Yes, yes. And that, that there's there's a real transaction that happens, mm-hmm. you know, because I thought that I was watching those folks from Sweden to the choir and I'm like, man, it really feels like God is doing something. Yeah, they, to they, these they, folks. they, they like, went in. It was powerful. Mm. To witness the the voices were just you know they sounded beautiful on the technical aspect but there was something else going on yeah you know and, it, and it's been yes. going on for a few days as they've been practicing wow and it was it was beautiful to witness because it's like yeah come and do this thing with us come yes. and come and come and experience this embodied worship with yes. us yes yes and there's it's it is experiential and this first mm-hmm. person that way you crack so many things open there but I tell you it's um it's interesting for me. Because I feel like when you talk about the tradition, you know, um, there, even in your sermon this morning, right? So you're talking about this nameless woman who then Jesus addresses as a daughter of Abraham, which is so dignifying. Yes. And you said outright in the sermon, you know, here we see Jesus taking down the patriarchy. Jesus is going to the patriarchy. And I just, it's so interesting, especially right now in a lot of the spaces I'm in, and I don't know how aware you would be of this is kind of like, I feel like I'm just around a lot of people right now. There are a lot of white folks, uh, especially who come out of more evangelical backgrounds, mm-hmm. more evangelical and Pentecostal charismatic backgrounds. Mm-hmm. They have some kind of awakening in terms of justice. They have this sense of becoming woke or whatever, but instead, but um, because they don't come from a tradition where it's understood that, you know, this has always been a story of oppressed people that not even Jesus for sure, but going all the way back to the Exodus has always been a liberation mm-hmm. story right. who really do think because of the ways that Christianity has been co-opted. Mm-hmm. Oh, well, Christianity is patriarchal Christianity. I mean, mm-hmm. this is colonialism. Mm-hmm. Like this is, this is just, you know, um, prepares people to sort of be, you know, mindless subjects of the empire. It's just, um, I, it just, it just feels like right now, especially that perspective, that critique is so needed because I think a mm-hmm. lot of people really think that sort of the empire's version of Christianity yes. is like this is what it's always been. Right. Yeah, it really is. I, I did a uh, conversation um, at the Festival of Homiletics uh, a couple of years back that spoke specifically to what you were talking about. Mm. I did a, the whole thing around Star Wars. Um, that uh, that do you want to be um, a priest for the empire, mm. uh, or do you want to be a Jedi prophet, you mm. know, essentially. And, but I was making the statement that being in America, mm. no matter how prophetic you may try to be, no matter social justice, you have a, a lot of empire in you. Yeah, sure. And, 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 right. and, and you've always got to deal with it. Yes. And there is this narrative now that people don't want to recognize the radical nature yes. of, of the Christian tradition. That the reason that we have this view, and, and I'm a great lover of, of Catholic social ethics. I'm a great lover of Catholic theology uh, in many ways, in, in certain aspects. But the, the empire nature of the Roman 
religion and influence as it spread, and that empire nature in Protestantism yeah. uh, continues. What is so powerful is to really look at prior to, mm-hmm. prior to state religion, and you all of a sudden have this radical, revolutionary, always undercutting type of faith mm-hmm. that I think people deeply want. Yes. I mean, the reason yes. that, that people are critiquing the church so deeply mm-hmm. is because they want the church to be the church. Absolutely. I Listen, I, 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 they, they want Jesus, yeah. and they're tired of what they're getting at church. Yes. They, they want they want a Jesus who's deeply compassionate. Yes. They want a, want a Jesus who will call you on the carpet and at the same time just wrap uh, Jesus' arms around you. Uh, they, they want a Jesus who's at the border, yeah. building tables and bridges and not walls. Yeah. They, they want a Jesus that is in the center of dismantling white supremacy, mm-hmm. in the center of destroying patriarchy, mm-hmm. you know, in the center of this work around compassion. Yes. But we have these other people. It's really, it's like uh, Nas says, that one mic can change the world. Yeah. Um, but the mic has been in the hands of, I won't mention their names, maybe you will, but of certain individuals. Sure. Um, who become so loud, and then they, all of a sudden they, they're the ones who get all the time on television, yes. and you hear about these horrific um, moments yes. that people preach on. I read something by, um, it really disturbed me, uh, this, this quote by John MacArthur. Oh, Lord. Talking yeah. about, you know, social justice was, you know, dangerous to the gospel. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh. This is this guy's interesting. I mean, I've heard of John. I don't know much about him, um, but he had this other piece that he was talking about how you know black people didn't fully get Christianity because uh, they were you know on the plantation and they had this uh, caricature oh, of, of of Christianity, um, and that's why you have some of that stuff in in churches and whatnot, mm. and that basically. You know, we've got to help them in, you know, seminary and other thing to really understand what, you know, Christianity is. It's like, are you kidding me? Yeah. Dude, where are you from? <laughs> you know, I mean, you know, what Confederate state were you birthed in? Right. <laughs> you know, right. Like, yes. uh, it was like, wow, really? Yes. Um, and, and we exist in a world where Christianity is the empire in America. Yeah. But once you leave the U.S., mm-hmm. When you go to South Africa Mm -hmm. and to Ghana and to Ethiopia, to Brazil, when you go to China and South Korea and other places, all of a sudden, there's a different type. Yeah, yeah. There's one that's fighting against the empire. Mm -hmm. There's one that's concerned about the poor. Mm -hmm. There is the Oscar Oscar Romero tradition uh, that you witness. There's the Bishop Tutu tradition that we witness. Mm -hmm. There's the Ethiopian Orthodox tradition that we witness. There's the Palestinian Christian tradition that we witness. And America has to decolonize its Americanness Mm -hmm. and its American hold, its market hold on the Christian tradition. Yeah. It's dangerous. Yeah. It's so dangerous because it just plugs it, it plugs itself into mm-hmm. um, any powerful whim mm-hmm. uh, that keeps certain structures in place. Yes. And it doesn't deal with the beautiful, simple stories that you just shared about this woman 
who yeah. her story was 18 years of caring for her husband. Yeah. It doesn't share the stories of uh, the Swedish community that comes in here and sings with the black church uh -huh. and says that something jumped in on us, yeah. you huh. know, in the process. Yeah. It doesn't share the story where an activist who's in the Black Lives Matter movement mm -hmm. uh, and is also uh, someone who is non-binary mm -hmm. uh, finds a home mm -hmm. in a space like Trinity mm -hmm. because they're so hungry. So they wanted Jesus. Yeah. I wanted the Jesus I read about, yeah. not the Jesus that people have been preaching about. Yes. Ooh, wow. 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 That's so that's so good. And my head is just, you know, in flames right now. This is also amazing. How central is Jesus in this whole story of liberation to you? Like how the, the person of Jesus? Jesus is, I'm Jesus centric. And mm. interesting enough, that's the other thing about black theology, um, that narrative of Afghani. We are Christ centric, Jesus centric yes. people. I mean, it's, it's, we, we, I say this joke all the time. And sometimes when I'm preaching, I say, well, you know, I was, you know, if you go down south to Mississippi, there are certain churches. All you got to do is say you hung him high, stretched him wide, yeah. and everybody Ooh. goes in. Ooh. All you got to do is mention Jesus a couple of times in certain yes. traditions, and that's it. Yes, there is a Jesus-centric narrative. Yes, and Jesus is central one because Jesus experiences and, and embodies mm -hmm. what we deal with. For example, one of the funniest things years ago, my wife and I, when the movie. Um, um, the passion of Christ mm. came out. We went to see it, and everybody said, it's so powerful, it just made me cry. So we went with several black people, and everybody's like, well, yeah, this is this is a violent movie. He's like, well, Jesus is a brother. You know, I mean, I mean, yeah. I mean, I mean seriously, everybody yeah. was like, well, this is this is the narrative that we have, have shared all these years. Right. He experienced what we experienced. Mm. So we saw, mm -hmm. you know, the antebellum South. Mm. Jesus knows all about our troubles. Yeah. We saw um, what has happened in terms of police brutality with yes. the Romans and with Jesus. So we were sitting there like, yeah, this is gory and brutal, but this is really the lives of so many people. Yeah. So, you know, we didn't come out with tears saying, oh, my gosh, I didn't know. Yeah, we knew. Yeah. That's what we preach. That's what we talk about. Mm. Jesus understands mm. this. And it's central to the liberation narrative because Jesus is so clear about having this leaning and preference for those who are marginalized and poor. You know, yes. Howard Thurman says um, that is what the, the fundamental question uh, that is being raised of uh, Jesus is doing. He's speaking for the disinherited, those mm -hmm. who have their backs against the wall. Yeah. This is the fundamental uh, uh, story that is underneath uh, that shapes, uh, mm -hmm. that speaks to you, you have these gospels. Mm -hmm. They were not written for the Roman world. Right. Right. It, it has double entendre yeah. all through it. Yeah. So I, I had the opportunity to hear John Dominic Crossan. Yeah. I was at Chautauqua Institution and he was a lecturer. I was serving as a chaplain and they have this meeting where the president of the institution brings everybody together. Um, all the lecturers, is like, they got like, like 50, 60 lecturers. I mean, they have a poet, they have writers, they have musicians. And I was just, you know, just really happy, wide-eyed to hear all these people. And they asked everybody to introduce themselves. Uh, I said, I'm Otis. I sat down. And then John Dominic Crossan stands up. And, you know, that wonderful accent that he has. 
he says, behind me, you will see this lake. Imagine with me for a moment. Uh, this is the Sea of Galilee. But the Sea of Galilee is not, is not controlled by those Palestinian people in that community, the Jews of that area, the Hebrews of that community. Remember, it is owned by Rome. And so often, and he's sitting there talking, he says, so often we, we tell the story of the disciples mm. and the story of their call. He said, but think of it this way. Make me fishers of men. Ah, so radical, double entendre, because we need to look at it from below. Mm. And he goes on to say uh, that we spiritualize it mm. when really it was a narrative against Rome. Wow, yeah. And he goes on to say, it was so powerful. He said, if, it is, if it, the sea is owned by Rome, mm. the fish you pull out of it are Roman fish. Mm. So if you have 10 fish, maybe six go to Rome, mm. then another two go to the tax collector, leaving you with only two fish, mm. barely able to survive. Mm. And along comes this roving preacher, who says, put down what you do and be fishers of men. Mm. So in the process of calling people, all of a sudden the tax mm. initiative is wow. undercut yeah. as soon as people start following Jesus. Wow. He's defunding the Roman military system. Mm. And I was like, dang, wow. <laughs> I've wow. never heard that before. Right. I was like, wow. I mean, it changed. Ooh. But I said, that's an underneath. He said, that's a double entendre. Yeah. He said, I can't say it outright yeah. because that will get me jailed. Sure. So sure. I say, make me, make fishers of men. Become a mm. fisher of men. Mm. In other words, stop supporting Rome wow. and support your God. Wow. Ooh. Follow your God. And that just completely blew me away. But it makes complete sense because yes, it then it, my mind went to the double entendre of spirituals. Mm. Swing low, sweet chariot, come mm. forth to carry me home. Oh, that's a nice, wonderful song about heaven. No, it's a song about escape. Yeah. And how you sing it determines which direction you're running. Mm. Wow, yeah. If I sing with a bass, <laughs> that's telling me one direction. Mm. And then I start doing remixes. Mm. And the remix is Swing Low, Sweet Chariot, down by the riverside. I'm sending a signal to you that if you don't want the dogs to catch you, get down by the riverside. God's going to trouble the water, keep mixing in these other songs, mm. meaning wade in that water. Mm. God's going to trouble the water. So wow. the double entendre of the spirituals, yeah. the yeah. double entendre of the gospel. Mm. And all of a sudden, oh, wow, I'm seeing the gospel in a different way. In America, we've got to learn how not to read it as an American. Right, yes. We've got to read it from underneath. Yes. And when we read it underneath, all of a sudden, Jesus shows up, and sometimes all you can do is laugh. Said, this yeah. is a bad brother. Yes, yes. This is a bad brother. Yes. I mean, Jesus yes. is the man. Yes. Oh, that's amazing. I'm like, I'm loving this so much. It's so, um, just the, the, subversive, the subversive nature of Jesus and how to, I don't know, I just... What about people who are new to that journey, mm -hmm. who want to decolonize, who want to learn mm -hmm. to read from underneath, but don't have the resources 
of the tradition in their library? Like, what mm-hmm. you know, what about for people who are like, who, but who want to go on that journey? Where would you, where do they start? They start with the Gospels. Mm. I mean, I think that when you read the naked Gospels, yeah. I mean, yeah. you can't get away from the spirit of the Lord is upon me to preach good news to the poor. Mm. You, you can't get away from these these healing stories yes. and and the time that Jesus spends with people he shouldn't spend with. I mean, yeah. like for example, when you read, and I did this in a class, I teach um, uh, preaching at McCormick and at, and at Chicago Theological, and with the wonderful story of Jairus's daughter, mm. which is a wonderful story, but it is so sneaky and subversive. Yeah. If you read it, just read it, just a naked read. Mm-hmm. You know, Jairus, father, you know, come see about my daughter. She's in trouble. She's dying. Come on. Yeah. Hey, hook me up, Jesus. That's yeah. the OM3 translation. Yes. Um, yes. And the man who is to represent, you know, for the daughter. I'm going to go and see. And he's, he's well off because he, we know his name. We know his occupation. We know all these things. I mean, that's just a naked reading when you begin to, to read. That's, that's what uh, people in literary theory and uh, people who were just reading uh, in the 19th century, yeah. they, would, they would read. That's what was happening in the 18th century when people mm-hmm. get a hold of the Bible. Mm-hmm. They would just read and realize, wait a minute, something's going on here. So they're reading yeah. Jairus' story. Yeah. And then they say, well, wait a minute. There's a woman with an issue of blood mm. who interrupts the narrative. Mm. Patriarchy says, go see about Jairus' daughter first. Mm. He's a man wow. with wow. privilege. Yeah. But the subversive nature of a woman who was bleeding, who was considered to be unclean, and men are the ones who made the determination that she was unclean. Yes. Yes. And said, hey, you live over here. Everybody talks about you. And she said, well, I don't know if Jesus is coming back by here. I just want to touch the hem of his garment. Mm. And she had to break through all of these guys Mm. who were like, you know, his his posse, his his armor bearers, his security force, whatever you want to say. Mm. I mean, they're like the Navy SEALs of, Mm. you know, discipleship. Don't touch Jesus. Yeah. And she touches the hem of his garment, mm. which means she had to bend down mm. just to get to the hem. Mm. And Jesus stops. So he's on his way to the person with power. He's interrupted with a woman who has no power, and she is only called a woman with an issue of blood. She is then defined solely by her condition. Mm. Not, even, not even a name. Yeah. Just her condition. Yeah. And she's healed... Because she is the one who asserts herself before Jesus. And Jesus turns and does something that is so beautiful and powerful. Woman with an issue of blood turns it over and says, daughter, Mm. which means you're in my family. Mm. Remember, he was going to see Jairus. Jairus was the father who said, come and see about my daughter. Mm -hmm. Because it's the job of the father... Mm in that world to be the person who stands for his children. Yeah. Because if you don't have yeah. a father, if you don't have, uh, it's very male centric, mm-hmm. that all of a sudden you, you don't have as much worth. Mm-hmm. So this woman didn't have worth because she did not have someone to be an advocate for her. But all of a sudden Jesus says, your daughter, 
which means you're in my family, mm. which really, he's throwing shade again, yes. putting everybody on notice. Don't mess with my daughter. Mm. Oh, wow. Because she's in my family yeah. now. Yeah. So. It's brilliant. All of a sudden now, mm. this is just a naked reading. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You're just, just reading it, just reading it. And then he still hasn't gotten to Jairus' house. Mm. Because Jairus is the wealthy person, Jairus yeah. is well off, he spends time with the poorest person, the most marginalized person, they get healed first, it then fits into the narrative that Jesus already said, the last yeah. shall be first. Wow. And the first Lord. shall be last. Mm. Then he gets to Jairus' house, huh. says, you come too late. I ain't never late, I'm always on time, you know. I might not come when you want me. Yes. But I'm always right on yes. time. So yes. he then shows up and says, no, she, she's not dead. And the mourners who've been hired, who do the profession of mourners, have already said, you can't do nothing. Mm. And then, then she is healed. So he starts out with a daughter of privilege. He elevates mm. a woman who we don't know who her father was yeah. or is, and then places her in the family puts everybody on notice and cuts right to the heart of patriarchy mm. in the process mm. because the story is showing the agency of a woman who says, I don't care what you say mm. that I'm supposed to stay in the corner. Mm. This is my body. Yeah. Yeah. And I have the right to be able to get the healing, to get the medical um, the medical services mm. for my body because you don't know what it's like to bleed. Mm. And, and the naked reading, start Oof. with the gospel. Yes. It, it, will, it will blow your mind. Yes. It yes. will blow your mind. And for the most um, secular person. Yes. And that's what I love talking to my secular brothers and sisters. Mm-hmm. I said, no, just, just read it. Right. Stop yes. reading as in America, we read as fundamentalists. Absolutely. Yeah. Stop yeah. reading the Bible as a fundamentalist yes. and start parsing that. No, no, just read it and let that story sit with you. Mm. It's amazing that you can read poetry, but you can't read the Bible. Right. Yes. It's amazing that, yes. you know, you can read James Baldwin, but you can't read the Bible and Baldwin is will tell you mm-hmm. with all of his issues that he has with the church. He says, sure. he said, the prophets, <laughs> the psalmists, and the gospels, that's some of the best literature I've ever read. Mm, yeah. That empowered and helped me structure how I write. Yeah. Toni Morrison, same way. Yeah. Maya Angelou said, and you cannot be a writer mm-hmm. unless you know scripture. Mm. Yeah. I mean, that's powerful. One of our greatest poets, she said, you can't be a writer unless you know scripture. And so she structures her poetry Mm. as she has been reading and listening. And, you know, the recent passing of Toni Morrison, we're losing that generation of people who understood that Mm. language. Right, right. And the way to craft and speak as a poet and as a prophet and as someone who had the double entendre and was speaking with a narrative that was more than just contemporary, but one that connected hundreds of years, thousands of years in the past. Yes. That's what happens when you break open a Toni Morrison. Yes. You break open a Maya Angelou, mm-hmm. that you are also connecting with an ancestral uh, literary tradition mm-hmm. that is also connected to scriptural tradition. Mm-hmm. 
though many of them would say I'm not explicitly someone out of the Christian tradition, but sure. I do find deep, powerful meaning yeah. in this. Yes, yes. Well, and, uh, you know, I mean, I hope sometime we have to have a part two and three. I'd love to have you on like multiple, because like, I'm going to talk some of things about Trinity and everything else. But like I just the through lines where you're talking mm-hmm. about where you've talked about hip hop and you talk about Tony Morris and you talk about it's so interesting how it's like there very much is the sense of it's the same spirit it's, it's the same, same spirit. liberating spirit it, it and is. you recognize it, it mm-hmm. when you feel it no matter where it is that's right you know that that's the spirit of God and you see it breaking you can feel it breaking people free even if it is an expression sometimes in music that just allows people to be vulnerable there's something human you know liberating and human about that but you mm-hmm. see this is the Holy Spirit that's it is the, breaking these it categories it is truly down. the Holy Spirit and and I firmly believe, and that's that's part of kind of you know African African Christianity, Africanized Christianity, or Black religiosity, whatever you know academic term people want to use. Um, I learned that from from my parents. Mm. Uh, I learned that from them. They were very much out of of that tradition that you could recognize if you if you listen and look, and you can see the fingerprint of God yeah. on things. They were real clear on that. Yes. And there is no exclusive nature that, oh, God says, no, I don't put my fingerprints on art. Oh, I don't put my right. fingerprints on music. Right. You know, I only will put my fingerprints if the word explicitly says something about Jesus. Yes. No. Yes. I own everything. Yes. I put my fingerprint on the trees and I put my fingerprint on the roses. Mm-hmm. I put my fingerprint even on the graffiti on the wall. Yes. Because yes. the colors that you're using could only be created and come from me. Yes. I mean, I mean, it, God's oh. fingerprint is everywhere. Absolutely. And you just got to find it. Yeah. You got to find God's fingerprint. And, yeah. and that's why uh, the Christian tradition, I love Richard Rohr and I love Thomas Merton. I love um, Howard Thurman is my man. I mean, yeah. I, I love Howard Thurman. Yeah. And those traditions that talk about stop with the box. Yes. Yes. Of trying to quickly label, mm-hmm. say, oh, this is sacred. This is secular. That's an, something I learned within the, uh, you know, in the black church tradition. Mm. Sacred and secular just don't work. Right. Because right. I, I found out about that when I was probably about 12. So it was a group. I was Jack and Jill. They, they went to as a group called Jack and Jill as a little middle class black group. You know, the, um, they went to a concert. We were like kids and the concert was like debarge and opened up and it was okay. Luther Vandross. Okay. okay. I was like a little kid. And awesome. um I was not a fan of any either group. I yeah. just, you know, I just wanted to go because there was a girl that was really cute. Yeah. In, you know, in in the group. That that was it. You know, and they all loved, you know, El DeBarge and whatnot. And, you know, they're screaming and hollering. And I about fell asleep on that part. But then Luther Vandross comes out. You know, mm-hmm. Luther comes out and and I wasn't a huge Luther fan. But huh. you know, to this day I love Luther because of that concert. And I remember Luther was singing. He has a song uh, called Superstars. It starts out long ago. uh, So very far away or something of that nature. But anyway, this woman like near the front of the stage started shouting. Mm. I was like, I think she goes to my church. You know, but she was having this experience like it was, you know, the Holy Spirit. And then Mm. I realized, oh, wait a minute. There's a spirit operating here. Yes. Um, that here is Luther. It's not his words. Yeah. It's his sound. Wow. Yeah. It's a theoacoustic mm. communication. Yes. Because the sound that Luther is singing when he was doing the no, 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 the, his little run, 
is a run that goes all the way back to Mississippi, Mm. but that run also carries from Mississippi over to New Orleans, from New Orleans to Haiti, to Haiti, uh, to Ghana, from Ghana all the way to Mali. From Mali, we'll cross back over to (laughs) Ethiopia, and from Ethiopia, make its way all the way to an area we call Jerusalem. Mm. I mean, this, this... this ancient narrative. She was responding yeah. to an ancient acoustic narrative where the spirit rides yeah. in that sound. Mm. And so the interesting thing that I, that I find about sound, that's why I love music and things of that nature so much, yeah. is that music dissipates, sound dissipates, but it never disappears. Mm. Yeah. So I love to say at our new members class, I say that, the words of Jesus are still circling the globe. Mm. No preacher ever converted anybody. Yeah. They just got hit by the dissipating sound of the words Jesus already offered Ooh. thousands of years ago. Yes. And don't even know it. Yes. I mean, I mean, his words are yeah. still, they're still in the air. Yes. Yes. What has stated is still, that's why, you know, mm. grandma would tell you, said, be careful what mm. you say. Mm. Yeah. Because what you say will live in the world forever. Wow. It can never be taken back. Yes. That's why the word, what we say, and how we say it as preachers is of the utmost importance. It's a sacred act because we can't take it back. Yeah. Mm -hmm. We can't. Mm -hmm. And it lives. It lives Mm -hmm. in people's memory, but it literally, it dissipates. But what is stated continues to float. And so the imaginative kind of way... I just believe that, you know, maybe that moment when someone, as when David was here earlier, he talked about his conversion. Yes. Maybe when David was converted, he said, I experienced the Holy Spirit. Maybe in his ear canal, there was a word Mm. that he Mm. couldn't make out on a conscious level, Mm -hmm. but on a spiritually subconscious level. Yeah. He heard, follow me. Mm. Mm. Yeah. I, I believe that. I believe that, that yeah. you know, the spirit is real. It's moving. It's yes. doing things in, a, in an incredible way. Yes. Yes. I tell you what, I'm so, I'm so moved right now. I never imagined we'd take a full hour of your time knowing you've got to preach again. A couple of hours like this man. Oh my goodness. I mean, you're a machine, but come on. I'm just so, um, Otis, I'm so grateful for the way the words of Jesus are in the air because of you and the church here. Mm. I, it's it's one of those things. It's just I wish I could just bring everybody on a massive field trip because it isn't just like I could talk about it all day long. But I think the things that you feel here, like it is, it is a, a place that's dense with the presence of God. And I think I, it's one of the reasons I feel like is the further I go and coming up in the Pentecostal church, I do feel like I was sort of indirectly discipled by the Black Church. Mm-hmm. It made more sense to go back to mm-hmm. to those roots. But I feel like that was part of what I was so craving for. Is I just. I needed the Jesus stories. Mm. I needed that sound. You yeah, know? yeah, yeah, yeah. And you know, when you find it, when you f- hear the sound of liberation, and you, you know, that's uniquely, I think, in the words of Jesus and the stories mm-hmm. of Jesus about Jesus, and you see that reenacted over and over again. Like, mm-hmm. there's a draw to that that mm-hmm. just, mm-hmm. you know, you can't get enough of. And yeah, so, yeah, um, I would love. You know, we've only done this with a couple episodes, my mm-hmm. friend Aaron Nequist and with Brad Zerzak as well. But like, it's funny because like, here, what I want to do right now, like, I would. I don't know what a digital altar call looks like, but I tell you right now, 
Mm. I would be the first one down. Mm. I'm ready to become a Christian again right now <laughs> because I'm so like, yes, please sign me up for this whole Jesus movement. I mean, it's that compelling to me. I would love it if you felt comfortable just kind of just just to just to pray for us oh, and absolutely. just for wherever people I, I are. Be, yeah, I would be honored. You know, because be I feel like people are hearing the sound, and mm, I don't know sound. what they need to do with it's that, but I know they're hearing a sound that's summoning them to liberation, that's summoning yes. them to freedom, and to help bring other people into that freedom. Mm. So, however you would feel led to pray, I just think I, I would just love that. Oh man, would be honored to. Well, let's let's pray for those who are listening to to this this podcast that. May these words, this prayer, in some way, in this, the broken voice uh, that you hear, uh, that it may in some way connect uh, with you and point you to something greater and higher uh, than uh, the vessel that is coming, uh, where these sounds are coming out of, because we are all uh, broken people and bruised people and all of that. And so we come to you. We come at this moment. May your spirit fall fall in such a way that it may possess your people, that it may squeeze out all of the things that the world has poured in and clear the windows of your soul to allow the light of Jesus to flow into sacred spaces in your heart and in your soul. May God's light shine in those corners you have been afraid to illuminate. May God's light shine upon you in such a way that you will not only feel uh, the power of God, but the warmth of God's touch. May Jesus's power and presence be made real to you. And may you have clarity. Clarity as you walk and talk, experience, whether it is from uh, to work or to your family's home, that you can see the beauty and the joy and the intricacy of God's creation and God's power moving in the lives of other people. May you not have empire eyes, but may you have eyes from the underside to be able to see the one walking down the street with a limp as the great blessing and the prophet. May you be able to hear words of poetry from a young person on the street and know that the spirit can invade their tongue. May you be able to hear jazz sounds be played and feel the spirit in between the rest of the notes. May you even hear in hip hop music that God is love. May you sense the spirit and witness the power of God. And may Jesus, sweet Jesus, the power of Jesus, may you see Jesus in the faces of children at the border, young men who are in prison, women who are living in shelters as a result of domestic violence, and children who have been tracked into learning disabled classes. May you see Jesus in them, in shelters and in other spaces. And may you bring Jesus into spaces that have exercised him, whether it is at a boardroom or a family room. 
not to take a book and put, knock someone over the head with this word, but may you embody, embody the spirit and the word and the power and teaching of Jesus. That may you literally love the heck out of people that certain things will have to flee. Mm. We pray in the name of Jesus, a name of liberation, a name of healing, a name of deliverance, yes. a name of transformation, yes. a name of salvation. We pray in the name of Jesus. May the sound, may the sound of this prayer from this broken body of this broken preacher, may something in this sound speak to you in Jesus name. Amen. 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 Otis, thank you so much. That was absolutely extraordinary. I mean, extraordinary. Oh, Your homework assignment, anybody listening to Zeitcast, on Twitter, at OM3 is the handle, right? <laughs> it's at OM3. So yeah. you follow there. Um, uh, your wonderful book on preaching. Yes, Blue, Blue Note. Note. Mm -hmm. Blue Note Preaching. Blue Note Preaching. So you need to buy that. You need to go. Uh, best way to listen to sermons is that through the website? Uh, through the website, yes. So yeah. Trinity United mm -hmm. Church of Christ. Tr uh, Trinity uh, Chicago. Trinity Chicago. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Dot com. Dot org. Dot org. I think it's dot org. Dot, okay, so mm -hmm. Trinity Chicago dot org. Mm -hmm. Go listen to every sermon. Go no, like no, get back catalog. No, 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 no. Y'all, I, mean, <laughs> I, I apologize for anything you heard, man. Jeez, jeez. <laughs> but thank you again on a day in which you're preaching three man, times. Man, John, what? it this is a so pleasure, man. You're the man, really man. Awesome. I appreciate you um, and the work you're doing, man. Mm -hmm. You are really transforming our country. I met that. Hey, so everybody know mm -hmm. I was giving like Jonathan major shout out because I wanted people to really understand who was in our midst. I mean, that we have someone of his caliber that would mm. willing, willing to just ride up and spend time in worship with us. Mm. You are doing a great work and you are bringing faith back into the faith community mm. where people wow. have lost faith. Wow. And I, th I thank you for what you are doing. Well, thank you, my friend. That encouragement from you means so much more than you'll ever know. That has a lot of just weight and gravity for me. So thank you. This has been an amazing day. Oh, and my man, soul is awesome. so I would be, I, I would drive here every weekend if I didn't have my own gig. <laughs> you know, it's so good. So thank you again. This has thank been you, amazing. Bro.